Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another prestigious Bald Move podcast. Uh, this is a commission podcast by one Dr. Brandon DeVito, who has uh, been a longtime supporter of Bald Move, actually, and a Lego aficionado. <laughs> he uh, built a, a scale Lego model of our old office, um, which is one of our treasured keepsakes. Has recently donated a over 6,000 piece, three foot long model of the, the Rasinante from the Expanse that we've yeah. been putting together on Working Wednesdays. A lot of support. This is the latest example. Uh, he wanted us to cover the 2008 Clint Eastwood directed Grand Torino. This film is uh, uh, based on a screenplay by Nick Schneck, who worked with Dave Johansson uh, on the story. It stars uh, Clint Eastwood, Christopher Carley, John Carroll Lynch, Scott Eastwood. Little nepotism there, Clint. I see what you're doing. Oh, a lot of nepotism uh, in this movie, but yeah. <laughs> and uh, really, and it mm-hmm. introduces. Uh, you're not talking about his dog, are you? <laughs> no. Although I assumed that was it, his dog, because apparently that's Clint Eastwood's real life dog too. Sure. Damn it, damn it. Uh, it introduced the world to B. Vang and uh, uh, Ani Her, uh, two Hmong actors that uh, got got their start in this film. Uh, and uh, it's about an old, cranky, racist Korean War era vet who has recently lost his wife, has recently retired and is just full of anger and regret and uh, does not like the shape his neighborhood is taking with these these immigrants who have uh, shown up and starting to overrun it. Um, and, uh, you I know, really, he- it, his how like the shape redemption. the country is taking, it seems, right? Yeah, his it family. expands to like, yeah, his family and all sorts of things. Yeah, the Grand Torino is honestly doing a lot of heavy symbolism here. It's a, it's a relic of a bygone yeah. era that's been carefully, meticulously maintained long past its useful, you know. Um, but I have a real soft spot for this film. Because, you know, I used to be a conservative and this kind of shit's like catnip, man. Like... Uh, you know, the, the, yeah, like the, this, this, this curmudgeonly guy and sure he's racist, but he's still a good guy uh, underneath it all. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and there's like, I don't know why we'll probably end up talking about some of the, uh, more unsavory aspects of the film, but I, I can, I, I was a little nervous cause I haven't seen this film almost since it came out. I saw it twice once when it came out and then I, I think I rented it again. Uh, Because I liked it and I hadn't seen it for a while. And I'm like, oh, I wonder I wonder if this is going to still hold up or not. I thought it held up really well. And I I still feel a pretty strong emotional connection to the film. Um, Jim, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm torn on this because this this is not an easy watch. Um, It's a good film. It's well made, but there is a lot of overt racism in it. from the jump. Um, and it's, it's through the entire movie. Like by the end of this, he hasn't stopped calling people racial slurs. They've simply no. sort of become okay with it. And in, in, in a weird way that the movie goes into, uh, somewhere along the way. And I felt very uncomfortable at times watching this movie. I don't remember feeling that the first time I watched it, which mm-hmm. I don't know. It may, maybe that says something about like having grown a little bit, uh, as a person, over the last, I don't know, how long has it been? 18 years since this movie came out? Because I saw it uh, 12, no, 12, 13, 13 years. 13 years, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it pretty close to when it came out. 
and I remember thinking, oh, that's that's a good movie, right? It's like mm-hmm. got some got a good message, uh, all that. Now I see a little bit more of like the the white savior aspect, which is a little bit weird to me. Um, it's it, I don't know. I, I still like this movie. I think it's a good movie. It's just you got to you got to get past some pretty tough watching, uh, especially yeah. early on. Yeah, I might put on um, I might put on my conservative hat and defend the movie a little bit uh, when we get to it later, because I think, yeah, I mean, I can definitely see all that, obviously. Um, and honestly, if you want to get some really articulate and well thought out criticism, B. Vang, yeah. the uh, the the co-star of the movie has since read a lot of appointed criticism about all the things we're talking about. Um, and I encourage you to check that uh, that kind of commentary out. But um, for what this movie is trying to do, like. Yeah. yeah, like, for example, the the white savior. I mean, that's obviously like, you know, uh, the Hmong people are in a uh, bad, bad way. Uh, who can help them? No priests, no cops. Uh, uh, the old cranky, yeah. the old, old cranky white guy. Um, mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's also a movie about a man who is being saved in like a Christian sense and in a, like a human humanity sense yeah. by this people. And he even like it's one of the things like this. This movie is like a three and a half star movie, according to Roger Ebert. And I feel like the stuff that costs it the half star is like. When the movie outright says, Jesus Christ, I got more in common with these people than I do my own family. <laughs> like like it, it, as he's looking in the mirror, he's like, man, Clint, we, we were getting that. We actually yeah. had it. You didn't have to actually stop the movie. Look right into the camera through and, and, and tell us. But like, I think that, you know, I, I don't know. Like, it, yeah, it's like. um this is a movie about empathy and compassion and um, giving a damn, getting involved. Yeah. Um, but it, it's weird because like it's it's really it's really hard to square um, some of those some of those values with 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 what the movies actually got on the surface. I, I get that. Sure. Sure. Um, and it's also yeah. a movie about uh, personal responsibility and honor and. um there, there's a lot of like stuff when you look at how he compares his own family to the Hmong family next door mm-hmm. um, and why he starts to identify more with them than he does with his own family, which, which tells you, you know, a, a lot about like the changes in the country, right? Like he's, he's a war veteran, you know, he had to go do things, yeah. um, didn't have the option to just sort of fuck around with his life. Um like like you know he sees his son's kids doing and and he when he looks at the neighbors next door um turns out that they have a lot more in common because they are hard working right they're they're personally responsible they're uh like i said they have honor um when they when they cause some wrong or something they go and they apologize for it like you know he he starts to respect them a lot more than his family and I think that's the other thing that like, you know, if you if you read between the lines, um, this is guy's name's Walt Kowalski mm-hmm. and he's identified as a as a as a, uh, a person of Polish descent, a Polak, yeah. if you will. And like that ethnicity has been, I don't know, certainly top five, butt of ethnic jokes, even <laughs> right. in, in kind of modern times. Right. And I think that like when he's doing the aggressive, like it starts you know with the with the the asian slurs mm-hmm. um i think and the fact that he continues doing it i think you're supposed to understand that like 
that's like a melting pot assimilation in the same way that uh, his barber, who's an Italian and him, they like go at each other racially because like, you know, the the underlying thing is like, oh, we're all Americans who gives a shit, you know, like I'm a I'm a kraut, you know, you're some kind of eth- uh, Italian ethnic slur. And it's like you're not too much heat when you throw that around because, you know, we're all Americans and no one's going to question their Americanness. It's different, though, when you have people that are visibly different than what America defines as white and American. It, yeah. Um, and first generation that, immigrants. That's, that's yeah. a little harder to swallow. Yeah. 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 And but I don't I don't know that Clint Eastwood knows that. Like he knows that, like, I am an immigrant and I don't have any or hate in my and like these people are industrious yeah, yeah. and I want to like he's he's doing this stuff. But like, I don't I don't think that he could maybe in 2008, especially articulate that, like, why it's still a little bit like breathtaking for um, a person like him to be using these, these slurs in this context and for the, but you know, and I wasn't the first time I watched this. I didn't, I didn't get that. I I was like, Oh yeah, no, I understand like what they're doing. And now it seems it's, it's a little bit harder to swallow now that I've thought about these things a little bit more. But I also say I've been in plenty of environments when in amongst working class folk um, uh, of, of, um, all different backgrounds and races. You see this in the military. You see this in factory work. You see, I saw this at FedEx um, that like there is the kind of like this casual friendly racism as a way to kind of like, um, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not here defending it. I'm just, I'm just documenting, articulating sure, sure. that it seems to be. And like, I know also like um, 25 years later down after this experience, you know, working at the airport, it's like, you know, how many people were participating in that? Because, it's the easy way to get along. It's like, okay, well, yeah. just some casual slurs and then I'm cool, you know, and nobody's going to fuck with me. How many people were like actually enjoying the culture exchange? It's like, it's, it's, it's all, it's all kind of muddy. Um, but like I said, I, I feel like that this film comes from the basically good place of a person. And then it makes all kinds of concessions to Walt's character. Like, you know, he hates Koreans and he hates Asian. He hates all Asian people. Japanese, like he's got all the slurs down. Oh, he hates it, he's anybody all, not white, but yeah. Right. But and then some you who, know, are, who are what we would consider quote unquote white. Yeah. Right, right. But then, you know, he gets to know the Hmong people and it's like, oh, they were American allies in Vietnam and oh, America kind of fucked them. Yeah. Uh, when they, they pulled tail and, and ran and they got ran out of their own country and they came, it's like, there was a, all this stuff. like, why, why are you people coming to mind? Why couldn't you stay? It's like, well, Oh, it's so like, there's, it's almost like the, the, this, uh, the, the Hmong people were pointed or were picked out to be like maximally sympathetic to a guy like Walt. Uh, but that, I mean, that's kind of how real life works with this shit. You know, like Walt's not going to befriend one of the, Hmong gangbangers, right? Like yeah. he has literally nothing but the the quiet industrious family next door, um, you know, who maybe wants to take care of their house, but they maybe don't have the expertise, they don't have the tools, they don't have the money, they don't have the time and resources. Like he can take a shine to these people. Mm-hmm. Um so like I said, it's it's um it's it's certainly like it's one of these um uh, these parables, these these so uh, we, we've been I've been using it, I feel like I've been using the term morality play a lot ever since Fargo. <laughs> but it's a it's a one it's a conservative morality play, not a liberal one, right? Sure. It's it's this this is like you know like Tom Clancy, all that kind of shit. Um, it is what it is, but like it's also a damn sight better than what we've been getting of late, you know. Uh, so that's that's yeah. I, and and I I think what do you think about Clint Eastwood as a director? Because I think that like this is a very good 
like archetypal Clint Eastwood movie. So I've yeah, I read a little bit about his style of directing and apparently it's influenced <laughs> by his time as an actor um, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things he didn't like the directors did, which was essentially go over and over takes again and again um, to get the perfect the perfect take they want. So apparently he doesn't do a lot of that. He does a lot of first takes and just moves on. Um, it, it it's surprising to me that he can get some some really nice shots out of a style like that because there are a bunch of really cool shots in this movie. There there's the one where you know Tao breaks into uh, his garage trying to steal the Torino and he's got this swinging light right as he's like prowling the garage with a gun. Um, there's there there's another one where he's like beating one of the gangbangers in his front lawn and the camera's like looking up into the sky from that kid's POV uh, yeah. and like the sun's behind his face and he's threatening him and it, it's a really menacing shot there's like a, a good like slow push in on uh, Clint Eastwood's face as his family is trying to convince him to go live in home which mm-hmm. is, is really good as his anger is slowly building and it, it feels like a pot boiler there uh, good stuff like that that I'm surprised comes out of something where we're just like uh, slapdash, put it together, let's get this thing filmed and out the door. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's, I, it's I, very, I think it's pretty good. It's, it's very kind of blue collar workmanlike in its sensibility. Um, it, 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 it is, but it also has those flourishes. I, I, like I've seen workmanlike stuff, just totally workmanlike, and it's pretty boring. This is not quite that boring. True. Clint Eastwood is like he's a guy who uh, it's funny because I, I read up on his spirituality and he's he's an atheist. But he says, like, you know, when I when I look at the Grand Canyon, I, I feel something. And that's kind of like this movie. It's like every once okay. in a while he'll get a shot frame. He's like, yeah, it's that's pretty. Let's let the camera linger on that for a minute. Yeah. All right. Let's move. <laughs> let's I'll wrap it up. That's too much. Too much. Move on. And <laughs> it's, it's it, you feel like that. It's like my dad, you know, going on vacation. With my dad, he's just go, 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 go. Hurry, hurry, hurry. But like, oh, look at the sunset, everybody. Uh, you know, um, and, and he does, yeah, it's, it's very efficient. Like that swinging light. I don't think he does it because he thinks it's a good shot. It's just like, I need it. You know, he needs a reason for like why Walt is going to trip and stumble and maybe not recognize the kid later until he confesses and he accidentally discharges the gun. Like everything kind of every, everything kind of like, you know, has, a has a reason for it. Um, yeah. But there is a couple, yeah, like a, you, you mentioned the the birthday scene, and I noticed they threw in a steady cam shot of like tracking their family coming as they're being hustled out the door and grousing about the old man. Um, but everything is like, I, I don't know, like it's such an efficient setup of his character. Like he's standing there at, the yeah. t- at, at his wife's funeral and his sorry sons, and they're fine. They're fine. They're actually successful. They uh-huh. have a nice family, it seems like, uh, but he can't stand them. Yeah, well, he doesn't know they might him. be spoiling their kids a little bit. Sure. <laughs> Maybe. But how can you tell? Like, there's nothing yeah. that we there's nothing that we know about these grandkids other than they don't have a relationship with the grandfather, which why the fuck would they? Well, this the and, young daughter expects to just be handed his fancy car when he dies. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've seen more selfish grasping uh, behavior, Certainly. like, you know, it's being like, hey, grandpa, what are you, what, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of crass, but like I said, he has not spent any. It's too bad we didn't get to know his wife because you get the feeling yeah. that like, you know, without that, that was kind of his human passport. Right. Sure. But you you get this so, so much of him like, you know, 
oh, he's it's like he's sitting there and and the first grandkid comes in and he's not even wearing dress clothes. He's in a football jersey. He's, oh, God. Then his granddaughter walks in and she's got a bare midriff and, and, a, and a belly button piercing. He's a like, good <laughs> right. Christ. And and, you know, this is a this is a hard ass man who has never really connected to his children, um, never really connected to anybody outside these superficial relationships he has with these other gruff and tumble men that communicate solely on these superficial, like, oh, bitching about getting screwed by the dealer, getting getting bitched at by your wife or girlfriend, all that kind of stuff. Um, except for these, you know, among people who kind of uh, take him in um, because and it's because he becomes a neighborhood hero for. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, threatening to blow the heads off kids that they're on his lawn, beating up as the neighbor kid. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't. I don't know. It's. Uh, it's a nice, simple thing. But but there is it what I was talking about before about how this movie really stacks the deck in like Clint Eastwood's fa- favors. Not only does you know they pick out this nationality of people who who you might be sympathetic with, but also he's doesn't have anything to live for. He's on death's door like this is arguably mm-hmm. him going out like as a, you know, as a as a hero, as a, as a silver cross winner. Sure. Um, you know, there's not a lot of like. Challenges to Clint Eastwood. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I, everything I mean, they, kind they of do a lot of of that stuff where like the so the characters he's going up against here are pretty bad guys. Right. So. Right. They're more overtly bad, I think, than he is, um, even if he starts off as this really just virulent racist. Um, Because, like, there's a scene where uh, Sue and her friend, boyfriend, I don't know what he is, are walking down the street and they're harassed by these three black kids. And, you know, of, of course, Clint Eastwood somehow is just there and he rolls up and he, like, you know, lays down the law. He he has some seriously good lines here uh, mm-hmm. in in that Clint Eastwood style of like, mm-hmm. are you feeling lucky? That sort of thing. Um, yeah, Dirty Harry. Yeah, fantastic stuff uh, in the dialogue there, but also very racist. Um, mm-hmm. it, and and so like you know when you see these kids harassing this girl like about about to probably rape her. Um, not not quite sure what's going to happen there, but things are going they're real bad. Yeah, they're, real they're fast. definitely head towards being frightened at the very least. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. And so, like, when he, you know, goes up and threatens those kids to get her out of that situation, you're rooting for him, right? It's he's mm-hmm. not he's not doing anything bad there. Um. Even though he's using some really bad words. Well, this is another thing. It's like I always, um, if I find someone's a veteran of a foreign war and they're racist, I kind of grade that on a bit of a curve. I'm not saying. And of course, I get to do that because I'm a white guy, right? I get to overlook racism. Sure. But yeah. like, it's the same thing. Like if I was talking to a, a person, an acquaintance of mine, and we we're talking, and um, you know, I, I talk a lot about race, especially over at Swizzbold. But if I found out like someone went like uh, if I was talking to a person who was a poor white guy that grew up in the inner city and attended like a 99% black high school and got called like cracker and Ofe and all this other shit and got beat up a couple times because he's a white kid and he's racist. Like I'd be like, I would take that. I was a, that would be a very different tack that I would take in that conversation sure. that I would, uh, like a suburban white kid who's just casually racist. Like, 
if you yeah. um as a part of official indoctrination were taught to kill and hate another per- pe- people and they killed a lot of your friends um and you you saw them as less than human in order to do that job then yeah mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to be fucking racist like above and beyond you know yeah. just the whole the Pollock and the you know the kraut stuff all that like that like you're going to be actively like kind of viciously racist and you're going to it's going to blow you away when you see your country like starting to buy you know japanese cars and holy shit korean cars what the fuck what's next like it's got to be a real mind you know like you know the, the idea how isolating that would be just aside from the trauma of like what does he say he kills 13 people yeah aside from the trauma of killing one of them as a teenager um and he even hints that he the last the the kid the last kid he killed he didn't even have to like maybe he was surrendering or running away and not only did he kill him but he got the silver cross for it like it's like you know like this this guy's a mess is what I'm saying oh yeah um yeah. so like that's where it's like I I it's like he's yeah he's racist but he he came by it very honestly you know mm-hmm. um especially when when it comes to his racism against Asians and the fact that he eventually overlooks all of that and and. But as like I said, it's 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 not challenging. It'd be one thing like imagine if his neighbors were Korean. That would be that'd be a real sure. whole hero's j- journey to take. He kind of like <laughs> took a baby step towards less less racism in this film. Yeah, but, it's not um, just, you know, that he's the war veteran who was sent over there um, to Asia to get mixed up in a lot of bad shit. He's also a veteran yeah. of the auto industry, which has fallen apart. And this whole thing takes place in Detroit. Right. Um, sure. And, and so like. <laughs> they're they're really stacking the deck uh on him like seeing his country change uh he's he's uh-huh. gone from a guy who worked i think it was like 30 or 40 years in the auto industry putting together the exact cars like he says he put whatever part into that car steering like, column yeah sure the steering column into this grand torino when it rolled off the factory line in 70 something one or some uh, mm. or something like that um and you know detroit barely makes cars anymore right like right detroit is a shadow of what it once was um and the auto industry is making more cars in america than america is at this point right um and so like when he sees that you're like okay yeah this whole this guy's entire life has changed right upside down country has changed around him Mm -hmm. and uh you know I think that is um, I mean, it's pretty it's it's pretty interesting. It's pretty compelling. I imagine there's a lot of people that have those experiences and it's like, a, you know, we kind of hinted around about the it's the immigrant experience that like uh, you come here and everyone, all the people that got here before you pretty much hate you until eventually you kind of assimilate. And then, you know, the challenges that some people like uh, Asian American, Latino American, uh, African American have extra challenges because it's just harder to integrate when you have a visible difference. It doesn't go away. All us white folks just kind of boil down to white folk, you know, German, Polish, uh, Italian, Irish, whatever. Like at the end of the day, like we pass for white. Um, And it's, it's a lot harder for, for um, these other, these other people. Um, I think it's interesting that also that like this is kind of I think an intentional nail in in uh Clint Eastwood's action career, you know, that like, he's still a plausible action hero. Like mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that it's like when he steps out of trucks, like you ever meet the type you ever meet a person that you shouldn't have fucked with, 
Mm-hmm. Well, you just, you know, I forget exactly what the line is, but like, and you believe like that, like he will push you down. He will punch you. He will break your orbital bone, whatever. He'll give you a skull fracture. He'll whip out a gun and shoot you. And then he'll like that line. It's like, I'll, I'll blow your head off and I'll go, I'll go inside and I'll sleep like a baby. I guarantee you. Like, it's not even bravado. It's just like, yeah, this is the, yeah, the yeah. guy. And there's very few men that are in, I think he was 78 when he made this film. There's mm-hmm. very few men that can conceive, that can pull that role off sure. um, At that while age, yeah. they're directing themselves and like, just have this like Clint Eastwood, this looks mean as hell. Like that site where he's threatening those dudes with his M1 and talking about how he's used to stack guys like them five feet deep and use them for sandbags. Mm-hmm. Not as that cold, that's some cold blooded shit, but like the way his face is looking like just how twisted into like this this death mask it is, uh, and it's Clint Eastwood's old withered kind of skull it face anyway. <laughs> it's genuinely intimidating, and 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 it really yeah. works. It really makes this guy off to be very scary. Which a lot of the comedy in the film is then him being completely powerless to keep these Hmong people from showering him with like love and effect, and like no, I don't want any of your shit. I don't yeah, want yeah. you. And but he, what's he going to do? Because he's also kind of bound by his own codes of politeness and niceness and he's not going to be rude because that's not what his door that's not what dorothy would want for him uh it's i i did i just really get a kick out of dirty harry or better yet like this this is essentially the same character he plays as his gunny the gunnery sergeant character from heartbreak ridge right like it's it's literally uh Hmm. like like i think it's just this guy older um, it's just an, it's just nice to see just like it was like um, Clint Eastwood kind of put in the bed his his gunslinger roles in uh, Unforgiven. Uh, yeah, yeah. This is him putting the bed like Heartbreak Ridge and Dirty Harry and all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's the other major inversion. You know, uh, I remember when I saw this film the very first time in the theater. I was really expecting Clint, you know, when when Clint locked that kid in the basement and was going out and he had got all of his weapons out and oiled up. I'm like, man, there's going to be mm-hmm. like I thought he was going to die. I figured there's no way he would survive it, but he's going to fucking bring down the hammer on these kids. <laughs> yeah, my maybe my favorite thing in this entire movie is when he goes for his confession right before you know, like uh-huh. the day before he's about to go off and yeah. do whatever he's going to do. And he goes up to the priest and he's like, I'm here for confession. And the priest is like, oh, Lord Jesus, what have you done? <laughs> like know. He immediately takes the Lord's name in vain, just thinking about what mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood might have done to these kids. And then yeah. at the end, he, he does the same thing again. It's it's really funny. And then the 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 priest being so impatient, waiting for his confession to get to the point. Right. He's talking about oh, I kill. I kissed uh, Betty Jablowski or whatever in eighth grade or something. Uh, he's he's confessing to all these minor indiscretions and the priest is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear about what you plan on doing uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. Well, I thought because, you know, again, it had been a while since I've seen this movie. I thought that it was going to culminate in him to confessing whatever war crime he committed. Yeah, yeah. So he never does, no. uh, except for the only thing he does is it like it's in um, he explains it kind of obliquely to uh, to Tao. When he locks him in the basement, like, you know, I'm already bloodstained and ruined. Essentially, I'm 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 already too far fucked. You aren't you don't want to live with the knowledge of killing a person because, you know, doing it and then get a war, getting an award for it really warps you. Um, But I like that. I really liked um, 
the the fact that like he goes out not in a blaze of glory but essentially you know he's dying anyway and there's like this like really nice scene at the end where he's just doing his bucket list essentially mm-hmm. he's going you know he's picking out a nice fitted suit because he wants and he's bare you know you let it's it's poignant when you later see him lying in a coffin and you realize yeah yeah you want to have a fitted suit but also he was taking care of these details for his family because uh, he doesn't want him to bother you know be bothered with it and he's getting a nice haircut and he's getting a straight shave for the first time he has an expensive glass of whiskey uh he's taking a bubble bath um like he's getting kind of ready and he says like when he he is for the first time because he's just quivering with rage that's the other thing like like Clint Eastwood plays this guy with like a tremble not because his body has gone weak but because he just barely can contain how pissed off he is at the mm-hmm. lot his lot in life but when he says that to the the preacher that like you know I'm at I'm at peace like you really believe it like he's got everything you know he's got his dog cared for He's going to die in a couple weeks anyway, because you never really know what, but you see the medical report and obviously it must be bad news. Um, yeah. The cough and it's of like, doom has feel, been going the whole movie. Right. And there's a couple of things where it's like when he calls his son and, you know, you kind of expect him to have like a Rocky style kind of reconciliation and he just can't do it because it's like, yep. you know, this movie's realistic and what it expects for this guy to do. That's why it stacks the deck so much to like, you know, he only has to take like a half step over towards the Hmong people. Right. Sure. Um, but it, it all like it's, it's, it, it's just perfect. It's not, it's not too sweet. It's not mm-hmm. too saccharine and his actual self-sacrifice taking these guys down legally, uh, if it was some kind of murder entrapment, um, you know, that little bit of self-sacrifice there. Uh, it's great. It's a great way to end dirty hair, you know? Um, sure. But, you know, the other crit it's like, you know, like I said, there's there's a lot you could criticize if you don't agree with this movie's worldview. For example, if he hadn't gone and th- like, yeah, these guys put a cigarette out on on Tao. But I feel like that's where it would have ended had Clint Eastwood not gone and punched, the, you know, the, like insulted the gang leader, threatened his life and made it personal. Like they're like, well, the kid rejected us. We burn him on a cigarette. He's permanently facially scarred. Everyone in the neighborhood knows we're tough motherfuckers. They probably would have moved on. But yeah, instead, maybe. he gets involved and gets the place shot up, gets, um, you know, sue assaulted. It's sad. It's, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like the I don't know if the movie itself is cognizant of the fact that like he is solving a problem that he himself contributed to. Yeah. I, I, hmm. You're right. The movie doesn't really address it. They're just like, well, what would you do, right? If if you were like, if this was not your kid, but someone you cared about, and this happened to them, like there is a bit of like taking revenge there, um, and making making the people who you know are responsible pay. But like, you can you can forgive him that I think because it is. Like it's such a shitty thing that that this kid is is being pulled into this life. You know, it's not necessarily about the cigarette. It's about the life that this kid does not want. Clearly, like he's Tao is always pushing these guys away. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's literally literally trying to keep his head down. This kid's posture is so bad mm-hmm. <laughs> during this movie. Yeah. He just doesn't. He doesn't want to make eye contact with anybody because he's he's just deathly afraid of of getting caught up in that shit and 
you know, so you can kind of understand when it starts to come to his door that Clint Eastwood, uh, when, when he goes in and starts beating people, um, they deserve it. And so you're kind of rooting for him, even if he is like stirring the pot and sort of, yeah, causing shit to happen. Well, that's the reason I, I, I do pr- appreciate this film's more conservative perspective, because that's something we hear a lot today. We're simultaneously told, hey, we shouldn't get involved. We should let the police handle things. We should let the proper authorities. You shouldn't get involved in the way people parent their children. You shouldn't get involved in your neighbor's business. You shouldn't do that stuff. But you also are simultaneously told that you should, if you see something, say something. You know, if you see someone being a racist, you should confront someone. You know, you should, uh, you know, if you're a man and you see a woman being, you should, you should intervene. And I think there is a, a big question in a lot of people's mind is like, well, what the fuck is the limits to that? You know, like, when should I yeah. go through the appropriate channels? When should I directly get involved? Like, we cheer Clint Eastwood when he takes his kid under his wing. Maybe we wish he would teach him something besides <laughs> his particular brand of of masculinity but like it's better than nothing it's better than not having any role model in your life it's better that it's it's better to have this a person that's actually interested in you and admires you and is trying to teach you something get you a job uh you know teach you than than to have no one at all um and i think that's interesting that the film explores that like you know we we're glad that that walt got involved uh and saved sue in the corner we're glad Mm -hmm. that walt took an interest in in Tao uh, and helped him learn some life skills and, you know, taught him you know, things that like, I, it's like, I remember the realization I had, I've, I've talked about this on lunch and stuff. Like, so I was jealous of my grandfather's tool collection. Um, and it wasn't until like, just like the last couple of years, I realized like, Oh shit. In like 15 years, I'm going to have this same fucking tool collection. My granddad had. And like, if my son has grandkids, they're going to be like thinking of me as like, look at this fucking workshop that grandpa's got. Mm-hmm. And I like to me, it's like, well, I, I bought a tool like every year for the last 30 years. It just kind of happened, man. It's yeah. not like I, I had this turnkey workshop, but like you don't realize that. And he says it so simply. It's like, you know, even a blockhead like you must realize that over <laughs> 50 years, a man just accumulates a couple things and you get started with duct tape and and it turns into bandsaws and shit. Uh, I don't know. Like I. It's, it's weird. So it's like simultaneously we need more people to get involved. And um, I think that's one of the things that is wrong in today's society, for sure, is that um, young men, you know, back in the day when we had a village, you, you'd always have older people that you could emulate, take you under your wing. We're very isolated nowadays, um, you know, with the Internet, with working from home, all that kind of stuff. Like who are going to be the people that like take people under the wing and treat you to teach you like here's how you interact with people you know here's how you interact with friends here's how you interact with lovers here's how you're supposed to go on a job interview here's how you fucking fix a sink like Mm. you need people to get involved but you also don't want them to like you know be dirty hairy and i that (laughs) the fact that this film explores that tension i think is really cool yeah uh they're doing some other stuff here too and i don't know you know some of this stuff is based on Hmong culture and the history that they had um, from, from the, the Vietnam era. And you get the impression that a lot of these kids don't have fathers. Like you, you look at Tao and Sue and I don't know that their father is in the picture. If he is, we don't ever see him in this movie. Um, they're being raised by their mother and grandmother for, mm-hmm. as best we can tell. And there's a line somewhere in this movie that says basically what happens with these people is, the girls go off to school and the guys go off to, to prison. 
Um, and you you feel that right like like if the community could come together and sort of step up and keep these kids um and get involved in these kids lives and keep them from that track maybe they could have a future where you know their houses aren't run down because nobody has the tools or skills to fix them um but they haven't been given that opportunity because the life they've lived is so hard up to now it just perpetuates that sort of disadvantage throughout their generations just, yeah, the, the movie does a good job uh, so, sort of like explaining their plight without going like super deep into it um, and, and needing to make that like the focus of the movie. Yeah. And I heard there's just like a, there's an equal amount of kind of praise and criticism about the way this movie portrays the Hmong. And like, yeah, yeah. I, I, it seems like the chief um, criticism other than just the overt racism and the fact that Clint Eastwood never really turns the corner on that um, is that like, it's an outdated portrayal which makes a lot of sense. Huh. Like, you know, when you watch season one of the wire and like the guys are running around using pagers and pay phones, like that was dated when it was written, but it's based on real life cases from like 20 years ago. And I feel like when I was reading about the production of this, like these guys, this was, this was based on these guys interactions with these people on construction crews from like yeah. the early eighties. And like, and that makes sense because like, why okay what are they saying that Tao? i think you're supposed to understand that Tao like lost his father and a lot of those men in the war yeah right but like which in 2008 they, doesn't make a ton of sense yeah, yeah. like what was these kids three years old fighting in laos fighting the chai right. the you know the the Viet Cong? like it but it's like one of those time capsule things where they took the material and just kind of flat you know worked with how old uh clint eastwood actually is and all that stuff so it's like there is this kind of like mystical 20 year gap in these people's history where it's like they're actually talking about the way this was back in like the 70s and 80s. And mm-hmm. it doesn't. But like, I don't know. Um, I wondered if they're like you could uh, they could have updated. It'd been interesting to like update that with something like what they really needed is to update that with like uh, something from like the Iraq war. Right. Okay. So you have like a young Arab family. Uh, living next door to this uh, racist vet that's retired, but then Clint Eastwood's too old for that. Yeah. yeah. So they they it's a, they kind of like force the situation in, but eh, you know, uh, as long as you're not t- paying too much attention to history and why this kid wouldn't have a dad, I think it I think it really it it really works. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And you can see that rolling downhill for a couple of generations, and maybe his dad, you know, goes to prison or something, right? Um, I, I can't yeah. remember if they explicitly say that he was like killed in the war or imprisoned and then they had to flee he's or anything like there. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but he's been, um, but, uh, I, the other thing is like, I remember when I first saw this film, I was really annoyed by Christopher Carley's father, Janovich. Um, cause I was just recently out of the religion and I was kind of like, you know, Christianity and, and all that stuff was a sore spot. I actually really liked this this character and this performance um, yeah. now that I've got a little distance from that, um, you know, like everything that Walt says about him, the fact that he's like this overeducated 27 year old virgin. who doesn't know shit about life or death other than he has read in the Bible is spot on. But like, I do also feel like at the end of the movie where, you know, this kid, like I, I think, you know, uh, priests in their, in their, in their highest calling when they're doing what they're supposed to do are essentially counselors for a community. Yeah. And like, you know, counselors, therapists, doctors, those people that, that care for people see some shit. 
And mm-hmm. like, I think that like some priests, uh, even if they haven't had a family, hadn't had, uh, you know, uh, sex with another human being, et cetera, you still just get exposure over lifetimes of, of meet, seeing people and, and seeing how they struggle and seeing how they succeed. You do get a lot of wisdom and you get this idea that this this priest has like begun that path. Like, you know, the yeah. like like Walt is going to be a cornerstone of his cornerstone of understanding for people. And I don't know. I just like I, I got a lot out of the character and how I was like, you know, he made a promise. This guy's dead wife who's worried about him. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so what he would get up to after she passes on with the neighborhood and all that kind of stuff. And he gets involved uh, and doesn't take no for an answer in the exact same way that that the Clint Eastwood does. And I, I and think that's he also comes to respect ca- him for that. Yeah, but that, that's exactly. what turns the corner and allows him to even start to open up to this guy. Just like, you know, his bullying of Tao is like leads up to the to the uh, to the part where he like uh, sticks it to Clint Eastwood over the you know refrigerator situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, if you're going to be an asshole about it, I'm taking off and I'm going to put up with this <laughs> crap. And like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like once these guys prove their their worth or the fact that they have some metal, it's not like the same type of metal that he's got but they got you know they're not going to take no for an answer they're not going to take shit lying down uh he, and they, he starts they, respecting them you know take seriously their personal responsibilities like he made a promise to his wife he's gonna he's gonna keep that promise he's got to respect that yeah and it's not just lame ass like oh, i'll just give you a phone call well i'm trying but yeah. like he goes to his house he goes to where he hangs out at the vfw and like that persistence and he also like um you know listens to Walt. He takes Walt's shit. He recognizes that Walt's coming from a place of pain and anger, especially after losing his wife. I I don't know. I really I I uh, I I really like this guy and his performance. Um, I saw a lot of people shitting on the performances in this movie. Um, huh. Okay. Because you've got first generation Hmong immigrants who had no previous acting experience who were essentially yeah. responding to a mass call of like, hey, you people in Detroit, do you want to act in a Clint Eastwood movie? Get in line. Well, um, and the fact that Clint's like, you know, Mr. One Take. Um, uh-huh. I thought that, like, for example, uh, Christopher Carley didn't have the best performance, um, but who, he looked like he? A, he's the father. The oh, padre. OK. Gotcha. But he looks like a scared 27 year old talking to this imposing old man. And I don't think the B Vang or I actually thought Annie, her was really good. Yeah, she's fantastic. B Vang wasn't great. But, you know, the the scene that everyone talks about being so shitty where like Clint locks him in the basement. Yeah, I actually know it's like I'm like, I don't know. This feels very authentic. Like (laughs) this kid who's like English as second language. And he's young and he's like incredibly impassioned and he's raging around like uh, he's not super like articulate and well-spoken in the moment. Like I felt like it gave it some kind of like rawness and immediacy that really made me connect to the character. Am I like carrying the movie's water too much or uh, I don't want to tell you how to feel about it, but all those things were going through my head and I came down on the side of eh, this kid's just not a great actor. Um. Hmm. And, and, you know, it's rough because you've got a director who also doesn't want to do more than one take. So it, I, I don't want to throw too much shade at this kid. Um, yeah. Cause you know, maybe he could have been better. Maybe he could have given an excellent second take. He just wasn't given the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought I everybody said, else I, was great. I, I had zero problems with the acting across the board, except for that one scene with with yeah when he's raging in the cage but it wouldn't have been weird if this kid was like shakespearean 
You know, like, I mean, ima- <laughs> if, if, imagine if he's like completely polished and speaking flawless English and like has everything oh, sure. put together. And- yeah, it's not his English that was the problem. It was the the emotion and the way it was conveyed were not super hmm. convincing to me, but I couldn't tell you exactly why. Yeah, I thought it helped a bit. Like, I don't know if Clint was was smart about this, but like he's filming and like he's in a dark. So you can't really see his face real well. And he's got the screen across him, mm-hmm. um, which that's the other thing I thought was a really cool visual touch is that I think Clint was clearly drawing a, a parallel between him confessing to the father with the screen between the face and him ultimately confessing his real crime to this to the kid yeah. with that other kind of confession booth. The way they were framed was very much father confessee. Um mm. Yeah. Yeah. The man's got some he's got some sly, subtle style uh, up, up a sleeve here. The other thing I thought was a nifty parallel that they um, is is the experience that Clint has when he goes to his doctor or Walt, I guess, has when he goes to the doctor. And it's like, you know, things change. His his name's being mispronounced by someone who doesn't have a, a great handle on Polish surnames. Sure. And it's just I, I thought, again, like, I feel like this movie, especially 12 or 13 years down the line, doesn't get enough credit for, again, highlighting from a, a conservative white uh, perspective. And, you know, if, if you're if you're like, fuck, fuck that perspective, I understand. But like highlighting what how uncomfortable it is to like you grow up in a neighborhood. Um, I like I'll, I'll say like this, like imagine if I'm living in this neighborhood. I like my neighborhood. Imagine if like it was suddenly overran by Swedish refugees for some reason or some kind of crisis and for whatever reason the poorest and most downtrodden of the Swedes came and they started speaking and like I, I can't I'm standing in line at my corner store and I can't understand what people are saying there's signs all over the place I can't read anymore uh, the, the, they don't ha- they, the, they don't have a lot of the skills and money to keep their houses all that stuff like I understand why this shit happens why this immigrant stuff continues to happen generation over generation over generation and I'm not sure how to avoid it because like it is like asking an awful lot of people to just accommodate all that shit. I don't know whether the answer is like education. I don't know whether it's answer is like movies like this where you actually show people, you know, hey, it's not that bad. And the answer is maybe to get involved and to to educate. Um, I remember there's something also like in that um, what's that movie, the HBO movie that David Simon directed about the housing project in Yonkers. Show me a hero. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of that stuff is like is literally education. Like, um, you know, people started taking care of their houses and stuff when they were provided with the materials they needed to do and training. Like, hey, here's how you unstop a sink. Here's shit that you might take for granted. But like if your dad or mom never told you that it's like fucking voodoo. How the hell do you know? Sure. You know what to do if Drano doesn't work or whatever. Um, I. I yeah, because like, you know, you see this. I think that we're in, in the next 20, 30 years, we're going to have a lot of refugee crises and stuff that's going to and like, man, any way we could get ahead of that situation uh, would be nice. And you've also got another thing. It's like where a lot of refugees might be coming from, like the Middle East places where we've had recent people with combat experience that might have spread like there is this kind of perfect storm coming up. And I'm like, man, what could you do to get ahead of it? Um, Good question. That's what I was thinking when I was, know, when I was watching this. How do you? How do you prevent Clint Eastwood? How do you prevent Walt Waltz and uh, and and Tao's uh, repeating the cycle again and again? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Uh, movies like this are interesting for a lot of reasons, and one of them is Hollywood nepotism. I mentioned this briefly up front. Let's talk about it. 
Okay. So Scott, I think he said Scott Eastwood is in this movie. Mm-hmm. I forget who he plays. He's like some minor character. He play- yeah, he plays like the first date of uh, of Sue. And oh, he's like this, no. this, 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 like he, he, I imagine as Clint Eastwood's son, it's a funny role because like Clint <laughs> yeah. Eastwood is essentially just shit talking the whole time. Like you pussy, you punk, uh-huh. yeah, you this, you that, uh, yeah, cracker. I mean, I think he throws out a couple of, he's, he's got, he's got, ra- he's got racist uh, terms for everybody. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So is there another one or is it just, we're talking oh. Scott here? Uh, yeah. So the guy who did all the music in this movie is Kyle Eastwood. Uh, another one of his sons. So, yeah, you got the they got the trifecta here of Eastwoods, and and they they mix and match too. You got Clint Eastwood singing a song at the end of this movie, this Gran Torino the, song, and he never the Clint is, he he does one better than like a William Shatner who just sort of like duos with with somebody else who can actually sing, mm-hmm. um, because William Shatner never quite gets to a sing right. He talks a lot in mm-hmm. his songs, but never gets to a sing, and then. Fucking Henry Rollins comes in or somebody uh, and takes over mm-hmm. the singing. Clint Eastwood tries to sing in this, and it's not awful. Like I, I thought it was for for really? a seventy eight year old man singing about this old ass car and life. Mm-hmm. Pretty good, pretty good. If it's the movie, it's slit. If it's the yeah. slightly corn cornball ass aesthetic of the movie, um, but I'm like, man, it could like I. When it, I remember when it first started up, I'm like, oh, man, is this going to be like a Johnny uh, a Johnny Cash hurt type of situation where like, you know, Clint Eastwood's old gravelly ass voice is going to really take this to another level. And I'm like, no, eh, not really. Not quite. Not really. All. It's because it's like, I don't know if he's he's like it's mostly he's doing the dirty Harry, except for at, at a whisper. You yeah. know, it's like uh, dirty Harry crooning about this car. <laughs> it's an interesting way to take you out of the credits. That's for sure. And then, like I said, somebody who can actually belt it out comes in and takes over and the song becomes decent at that point. Um, sure. Also, this movie filmed in Michigan and yeah, it it feels like it like that. That shot, I assume, is of Lake Michigan at the end of the coastline. Um, you you get the sense that you are in a place in this movie that that is real, mm-hmm. that exists. And, and, you know, you can you can feel the history of it too yeah. because it, I, don't, I don't know why but that final shot just conveys everything about like this is uh, about like the rise and fall of the auto industry like all of it, it it's it all feels right in that final shot and I can't even tell you why because there's nothing special about that final shot it's just the coastline and a road yeah which is mostly and maybe it's that the road is mostly abandoned um, yeah. during during that shot. You know, occasionally cars will drive by, but it's mostly just empty. Yeah, and it's, man, the whole neighborhood, the way, like, you get the idea of what this neighborhood used to be and, and still mm-hmm. is in, like, the eyes of Clint Eastwood when people had good-paying jobs and there was a lot of economic opportunity and people were bought into the system. And you see yeah. the kind of decay. It's, it's very similar to like, you know, when you see Rocky running in the, the, the yep. row housing of Philadelphia, or you see people running around in East Baltimore on the wire. It's like these used to be like these solid middle class homes. And now they're these like rundown. Why? Oh, because all the jobs went away. Huh? Yeah. You know, um, it's because people are too lazy and dumb, right? No, it's because <laughs> it's the, the economic opportunity poor, went away. Yeah. And, and people like don't feel bought into the system because the system's not bought into them. So fuck the system. Um, 
and they're investing uh, so yeah. much of their energy in just staying alive. I don't have time. But see, for that I don't shit. know that that's the thing. I don't know that Clint Eastwood knows that about his own film. Because this is very much like, mm. you know, if uh, if right. you just get out there and uh, you got a firm handshake and uh, you know how to screw in a light bulb, then uh, you can <laughs> you can hold down a job and you can go to college and you can do like, yeah, 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 yeah. If everybody has an elderly uh, neighbor who's a crack handyman that can teach you handyman skills, then we sure have enough handyman <laughs> jobs and uh, for who, everybody who's a, who's a veteran, a military veteran with a racist streak who's willing to go lay down the law on the gangbangers right. who are pushing you into that life. Yeah. yeah. yeah as long yeah. as we got one of those on every corner, <laughs> we'll be good. Yeah, it's like in the wire. It's like, you know, if you got a buddy, you got a bunny Colvin to take care of every, uh, you know, uh, stoop kid or street kid that that that, that runs off the stoop in right. Baltimore than you'd have. But it's like, yeah, we know we need we need systemic answers to these systemic problems. Um, and that's where it's like the the I, I, I think the the point of view of this movie kind of breaks down because it's like, oh, imagine, you know, if everyone, if everyone just cared, everyone just had pride of. But it's like the answers are right there at the movie's fingertips, but it just, you know. It doesn't it doesn't care to connect the dots. Yeah, I, I found myself like looking at, you know, his house compared to his neighbor's houses and how his mm-hmm. house is all nice and, and kept up and his car is immaculate. Um, he never drives the damn thing in the entire movie, right. um, which says something about, you know, that uh, what do you know about death? Oh, well, what do you know about life? Um, mm, right. But but they never. It, I don't know when they showed like the dirty, dilapidated houses of his neighbors, I never got the feeling that the movie was saying these people are worse than he is because of that. It's simply showing you what the state of the neighborhood. It's showing you like. This this is how, you know, the the community has fallen, not not that these people in particular are bad. Um, I don't know why I got that sense. Maybe I'm maybe I'm trying to be more charitable than the movie is. But yeah, I feel like Walt is the one that articulates that neighborhood. Like it's like it's not that, you know, uh, the jobs have all moved out and now poor people are moving in the neighborhood. Poor people don't have resources to keep up the house. The house are starting to get because like, you know, um, later on, they show the evolution of the neighbor's house. Like after he starts teaching Tao a thing or two, like, you know, by the end of the movie, before it gets shot up, that house is <laughs> okay. every bit as nice and neat as anything that, uh, you know, is going on on Walt's side of the the, the fence. True. But again, like, you know, is what is he going to take it under his is uh, is he going to take it upon himself to, like, fix up the entire neighborhood? Like, yeah, if you have a kindly old man who's retired and who has a, a well-equipped wor- workshop and infinite budget for lumber and paint and and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like, man, you could clean up a whole fucking block. If, if there's one on every block, you'd, you'd be set. But yeah. we yeah, doesn't seem seems like uh, that's that's not the case. Um, but it, it's. But that's what I'm saying is like the movie, like I I feel like they, they even all the parts are there to talk about like, oh, you know, this and we don't have all this money and uh, no one ever taught us and we don't have the tools. And uh, but but yeah, like it's 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 still kind of like, you know, the, you know, the it, it's uh, you just got to take a kid and teach him how to talk like a man and, and have a firm hand, handshake and and uh, you too can be <laughs> yeah. a productive member of society. I know, man. I'm torn on this movie because I, I feel like it's a good movie. It's a it's a well-constructed uh, film. It is a poignant really story for the yeah. right people. I liked it yeah. a lot the first time I saw it. I still liked it the second time. 
I I just like I don't know. I don't know about this movie. No, I mean, as I said, it's like it's 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 I feel about the same way as when I go back and read a Tom Clancy book. And I'm like really excited about without remorse to see what that looks like. That's that's coming up on Amazon soon. But like it's I still when I read them, I still understand why I like them so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, But I also fundamentally disagree with the worldview at this point. Um, yeah. And yet I also recognize how superior this form of argument is to like the naked hostility and just ignorance that we see. And so much of the discourse, you sure. know, like, uh, you know, uh, I think it's interesting that, you know, Clint Eastwood, who's been an arch Republican his his whole life um, has is now, I think, went independent. Now he's registered uh, libertarian and he was encouraging people to vote Democrat in 2020. Huh. I mean, okay. yeah, like it's not perfect. And just like, you know, it's it's outdated. It's it's portrayal of Hmong is out. It's, it's outdated. And. And uh, there's 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 a lot of other critiques you could um, you could levy at the film. It's still like a damn sight better than than what we've been getting of late. Um, and and was, you can you know like people like Clint Eastwood, people like Walt can can be worked with you know um, for sure. Yeah. So even if they don't seem like it at the beginning of the movie, because man, man, he's uh, just completely shut off and pissed off and. All yeah, yeah. So you, you, I wonder if also if you had another six months to a year, if there, um, because yeah, if, if if he would have like you know come to an appreciation of how it's different when he uses slurs around you know first generation immigrants who yeah. are still you know facing a lot of uh, socioeconomic discrimination and whatnot versus when he's just busting balls, right? You know, at the shop with his Italian friend played by John Carroll Lynch, who. Uh-huh. Is is as Italian as I am? Uh, <laughs> sure. Surely he's not. I mean, I didn't even look into this, but like, there's no way, right? There's no way. I, he it doesn't uh, look particularly Italian, but who? who I mean, knows? that's probably unironically racist to say that John Carroll Lynch can't be Italian. Sure, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Um, the the movie was pretty popular uh, when it came out. I think it was Clint Eastwood's highest grossing directorial uh, effort. Uh, in the box, I office. have read that this is his most uh, not adjusted for inflation. I think every which way but loose or one of the monkey films <laughs> was, oh, okay. was that. But like, but yeah, in raw box office dollars, his his highest grossing film. Yeah, made like ten times the money. It had a twenty five million dollar budget, made two hundred seventy million. It did not get nominated for any uh, Academy Awards, which I think was seen by a lot of critics I, as a slap in the face because. Critics love this this film, and it did get nominated for a lot of other awards, uh-huh. just not Academy Awards. Yeah, I think it came out at the right time because this was right, you know, at the beginning of the kind of hope and change era. Like Obama's running on that, and like um, the United oh, yeah. States is kind of coming out of the post nine eleven kind of like Jesus Christ, we got up to a lot of stuff and not sure about it, and like this kind of like grizzled military guy who's kind of roughing. And, and racist around the edges, having a heart of gold and reaching out to this oppressment or like I it definitely I, I think it definitely hit at the, at the right time. It'd be interesting yeah. to see, like, if a movie like this came out today, like what the reaction would be. Yeah. Um, like, it, like, I could see, like, people like the Fox News types, like talking about what a liberal perspective it is, you know, like, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. People don't know. I, I don't know. But. I yeah, I yeah, it. I was kind of shocked because I thought it I thought it did get uh, nominated for it. Get not not nothing. Nothing from the Academy. 
Wow. The I thought it for sure it would fox. get yeah. it would get it would get something. But again, I don't know. 2008 might have been a loaded year. Uh, what else we have to talk about? I think that's it. All right. Dr. DeVito, I hope uh, you enjoyed the the review of the film. Uh, I again, I maybe it sounds like it's a little bit more negative, but I, I still I still like it. I understand. Yeah. Um, I still remember all the reasons why I like it, and I think it it, it holds up on those. Um, it definitely could could use a little bit of criticism. And again, if you want to read up more on the problems with the film's portrayal of the Hmong people, and um, I, it's because I B Vang's been going around just this two months ago. He wrote a big thing, I think, for Vanity Fair, um, about like a retrospective of how he felt about this film and the racism and all that kind of stuff in juxtaposed with a kind of a new wave of Asian uh, prejudice going around because of the mm-hmm. coronavirus thing. And uh, he's written, he's written a lot of stuff and uh, you can check that out. If you want to look up B Vang's comment, if you just do B Vang uh, Grand Torino, you'll, you'll find it. Um, but I think for what the film is and for who made it yeah. um, and for the, like, you know, the type of person that's going to get a lot out of this is not going to be a super hyper woke person. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. But like, you do need films that kind of like pry the cracks open of empathy and connection, and mm-hmm. and there is enough here that like, if you had a conservative friend that really liked this film, but really doesn't like like social welfare, uh, there's a lot of connections you can make because the fi- they're all there. All the threads are there, laying on the ground like jumper cables. You just need to hook them up to the battery terminals and you know get 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 people thinking. Um. And I I appreciate it for that, too. It's a little bit of a kind of a bridge or a stepping stone for people to have more understanding of the world around them. But uh, I appreciate you commissioning this film, Dr. DeVito. Uh, and uh, thank you so much for your support over the, the decades you've been listening to us as you went on in, in your email. And I uh, really appreciate that and can't wait to continue putting together this monstrosity of uh, this Lego Rossinanti kit on our Working Wednesday streams over on Twitch. Uh, that'll do it. I since we the way we do these kind of commission things is out of out of order from our release schedule. I have no idea what's coming up next, but probably another prestige film uh, or TV series. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.